All right, so uh, this is about par for the course. We are 10 seconds past time, and we've got about a third of our class here. So we're going to let them trickle in. Uh, Gwen is here to give her testimony. Gigi, to her, those who love her. Who, uh, some dear friends came with them, uh, Lee and Jeannie Chapin. They are the ministry leaders at the Woodland Park Celebrate Recovery. So thanks, you guys, for being here. We are winding down the class. We have this today, which is the 10th. We have the 17th and the 24th, and we're done. So November is the end, and then December, January, I'm going to be meeting with the leadership of the church, and we're going to be deciding, well, I'm going to be presenting to them, hey, guys, do we want to try this? And if they say yes, then the next question is, do you want Terry and I to be your ministry leaders? And if the answer is yes to that, then we need to set out kind of the game plan of where we go from there. We need to train some leaders. We need to set some time frames, and all that's in God's hands, right, Lee? And it's sort of you, you plan, and then God does what he's going to do anyway, right, Lee? And Jeannie know that from experience. But I want to remind us that we've gone through the principles. We've gone through the eight principles, which is an incorporation of the 12 steps of AA, and so Rick Warren took the 12 steps of AA as John Baker presented them because they helped John Baker quit booze. And he said, hey, this is, this is Bible. Specifically, this is Jesus' teaching. Specifically, this is Sermon on the Mount. And, and microscopically, this is the, this, these, are the, these 12 steps are the Beatitudes, just reworked. These principles work in AA because they're coming from God's word. That was the conclusion. And so that's what we've tried to lead you through. Now, last week I introduced to you the idea of the monkey mind. And here's the book I was looking at. This is not a spiritual Christian religious perspective. This is strictly a secular uh, PhD scientific, but it's it's fascinating. It is, uh, I, I, here it is. I can't. I couldn't find the publisher, but you'll find it with that. Here's the last name of the author. Here's the name of the title. It's got a. It's got a subtitle, but you'll find it with that. I went in and got it on an interlibrary loan, and our local library system purchased at least one copy. And if you go uh, put a hold on that dude, uh, I'm sure they're going to buy buy more copies. So um, this is worth reading. But what we're talking about is, and I wish our, our people were here who brought these ideas up, we share commonality with the animals in that we have a brain. And a brain, that is a physical organ. And you can study it. And they are studying it. And the people who study it are called neurologists. And they're learning a lot about it. In the last 50 years, there's been some huge breakthroughs um, in the human brain. Philosophers have been saying for years, and theologians, that there's something that controls the brain. And we call that the mind. If you're a scientist, you would say there's a mind that's different from the physical organ, the brain. There's something going on there. There's a consciousness there in humans that we cannot detect in animals. And what happens in an animal is they're governed by their genetics, their DNA, and they have what, what we call instincts. They do things instinctually. There's a fern, I think it is. Hey, John, come on in. Hi, Mary. 
you know, you, you, they, they migrate from a specific island in the north to a specific island in the south, and they do that instinctually. Is that the word? Instinctively. That's the word, right? You take an egg out of the nest, you hatch it in a laboratory, you raise the, the chick to a full-grown adult, you take that adult to the same island, you, you know, two weeks after the, the flock has flown, and where does that bird go? Lands, you know, three yards from its mother three weeks later. Where does that information come from? Well, they're finding that it comes from its DNA, its genetics, its instincts. Now, what they're finding is we do not have instincts. Human beings do not have instincts. There's an argument that we do have one instinct that is innate at birth, and it's the fear of falling. But there's even debate on that. We are not governed, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, by our DNA. There is not a genetic requirement that you grow up to be homosexual or a drug addict or an alcoholic. Now, that's my view. And I, if you're interested, I will share with you the scientific evidence to that effect. Now, there's people out there who are arguing contrary, right, John? Yep. But do they have any evidence for it? Not really. What they have is, and John's a medical doctor, so that's why I picked on him. What they do have, and correct me if I'm wrong, John, they have evidence that we can develop predispositions genetically and certainly predispositions because of our environment. But the difference between us and animals is that we are capable of reprogramming those things. Yes, ma'am. I'm just wondering, is there a way to distinguish between whether it's predisposition or DNA? How do you... Well, and, that, and that's a... Observing all these things that appear to be... And, and that's a gray area. I mean, I told you in an email, and I told you in my, uh, telling you my story. My dad's brother was homosexual. We have lots of homosexuality in my family. Did I inherit a gene that I would grow up to be a homosexual? There's no evidence for that. Contrary, either. Now, I was sexually molested by a male teenage boy and grew up in a homosexual environment till I was 23 years old. Did my environment predispose me to homosexual behavior? Yes. But am I locked into those choices? No. And what they're finding, and I'm going to be done because I'm almost 10 minutes into it. What they're finding, and here's what's fascinating, and here's what this book and others like it will help you see. When we reprogram our, our thinking, with our mind, whatever this is, that we call it a spirit or a soul in religious circles, right? What they're finding scientifically is you, the mind, whatever this is in human beings, unlike a beaver who's always going to build the same dam according to the same uh, structure because of its instincts, we can actually reprogram and physically change the structure of our brains. And this person in the other book I referenced, Switching on Your Mind, they're saying in the last five to ten years, there's evidence that we can actually restructure our DNA. 
and we can pass that DNA on restructured. And it affects, get this, it affects the second and third generation of our offspring. Doesn't the Bible say something about that? And that's her point. It's not that book, but it's the book, the switching on your mind. I didn't write it up there. She says that scripture has been on the, on the books for a couple of 3,000 years telling us that we are capable, I'm capable of restructuring and I can pass that restructuring. And again, it doesn't create an instinct in my offspring, but it causes, it, it passes on a predisposition. So we can change this. And what does the Bible tell us, Mike? We can renew our minds. A beaver can't. A fern can't. It's always going to fly to the same island on, in the south. But we can fly to a different place. Amen? Amen? And what is Celebrate Recovery? It's a program that has steps and, and procedures and proven methods that say to anyone out there, it doesn't matter what you're struggling with. It can be booze, it can be sex, it can be overeating, it can be whatever. If you will come in and you will submit yourself to this, you will experience what we've experienced. And that is a reprogramming, a renewing, and with Christ at the center. And he makes us new people, doesn't he, Lee? How many years of sobriety you got? 30. We heard from Mac. Now we're going to hear from Gigi. Gwen, come on up. So the monkey mind is that part of us that do you want to sit or stay? Uh, Just okay. The monkey, the monkey mind is that part of us that, from the Bible's perspective, the Bible tells us we're born into an environment that is hostile to the human situation. From the first time that we realize that we're conscious beings we realize number one we're going to grow old and die food doesn't come for free we've got to survive all of these are natural but what can happen is that monkey mind gets so obsessed with those aspects of our lives that we forget to quiet ourselves and to be in contact with our creator to remember that we're spiritual beings, that we're more than just physical organs and goop and vessels, and we have a spiritual life before God. And so that's what this is all about, is quieting the monkey mind so it doesn't dominate our existence and connecting with our Creator and our Creator's purposes for us. And the reason we listen to testimony is because we hear stories about people who got off track, right? Like we do, like we have, and how they found their way back and where they are now. And that offers hope to anyone in the human condition struggling with any human monkey mind. So I'm going to pray for Gwen and we're going to listen to her story. God, help us to honor you this morning. Fill Gwen with your spirit. Help her to understand that she's 
she's telling your story, not her story. She's telling your story. And so help her to tell it for the first time. I know she's told it many, many times. But help her to tell it again for the first time. And to remember that it, the words that she's sharing and the, and the events that she's sharing are powerful because they're filled with your grace and your redemption. So bless our sister this morning as she opens herself and becomes transparent and vulnerable before us and help us to use her story, your story, and apply it to our situation. In Christ we pray, amen. Amen. Okay. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, thank you for inviting me. And um, I was blessed to be one of the people that when we started down in Woodland Park, that was on the team. And uh, I, we have uh, new shirts that we got this year when we went to the summit, which is the big, big meeting of people from all over the United States. They have a West Coast and an East Coast every year. But um, we got shirts made that um, we, it says, I am a CR lifer. And um, this ministry to me has truly saved my life. Um, so um, we type it and read it so that we don't get off on rabbit trails because I could do that very easily. So I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ who celebrates recovery over promiscuity, alcohol abuse, judgment, and overspending. I continue to struggle with tobacco and food addictions. I am just two weeks away from 90 days of being tobacco free, so I am very excited about that and at the same time a little bit um, nervous to put that um, out there. Um, because I don't want to fail, because I have many times over many years. So, but I'm Gwen, better known as Gigi for Grandma Gwen. Hi, Gigi. Before I get into my story, I would like to share one of my life verses that I rely on heavily, which is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, which says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lead not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. I wish I had known and trusted in this scripture long before I did. I do not dwell on my past struggles, but rather look ahead to following God's direction to the best of my ability on a day-to-day -day basis. I was raised by my mom along with two sisters after my father was killed in the Korean War. We were two, four, and six years old. I was the middle child and often felt forgotten as my older sister seemed to be the model child and my younger sister was just the baby. I felt left out during my younger years. I actually was so jealous of my younger sister when she came along, I stopped eating for a period of time. From the time I was 17 or 18, all I wanted was to be married and have five kids. What I believe now is that I just wanted to feel loved. Mom provided a safe home, but missing that father figure was always a hurt and longing I felt. My mom modeled well in many areas. She didn't drink, smoke, have men staying in our house, so I often wonder where I got so off track. We did not hear the words, I love you. Mom laid down the rules and we followed them. I felt a lot of criticism rather than encouragement as I grew up. 
I believe that needing to be right to validate myself led me to become very judgmental. Mom just couldn't seem to give unconditionally. I really never understood unconditional love until I had my daughter Molly. I know now that each of us has our own battles, but with the help of the Holy Spirit, I have graciously begun to be more gentle with my thoughts and words. I respect and believe the words that have been shared at CR. Hurt people hurt people. As I continue to work my recover, recovery, I try extremely hard to remember how I don't want to hurt others, but to lift them up and walk alongside of them as a trusted friend. At 19 years of age, I got involved with a man 15 years older than me and became pregnant. My biggest fear was that my mom would kill me, so it was very easy for him to talk me into an abortion. Because of the decision I made, there were many years of negative emotions, shame, and guilt that I carried. I do know absolutely that I have been forgiven by my Lord and Savior, but it took me many years of beating myself up over this choice. Around the age of 26, I hated my life so much I considered suicide but never took action. I was drinking a lot, which manifested in unhealthy relationships. At age 32, I moved to Wyoming to escape a bad relationship, my mom, and a job I was tired of. I think each of us in this room would agree we can run, but we can't hide from our struggles. When I moved to Wyoming, I went to work at a neighborhood restaurant, Bowling Alley Bar. My drinking increased exponentially. This became the lowest point of my life to that point. I was making a plan to take my life when I asked my good friend if she would sign on my bank account in case anything should happen to me. She could see the writing on the wall. I scared a lot of people and at that point chose to get professional help. I got counseling but did not stop the drinking. As the drinking increased, my self-esteem plummeted lower and lower, and my choices were awful. I became pregnant at the age of 36, and once again was told that the only thing for me to do so as not to ruin so many lives was to have an abortion. After making an appointment, I cried all day and decided that I would absolutely not do that again. At the age of 37, I became a single mom to my beautiful little girl, Molly. Being the type A personality that I am, I actually labored on Labor Day, September 2nd, 1985. I have always enjoyed celebrating all holidays in a big way. I remember so clearly saying to myself after Molly was born, how can anyone have a child and not believe in God? Such an incredible gift. I always believed in God, but I did not know his son, Jesus Christ, and certainly was not following his plan for my life. After I had Molly, I moved back to California to be closer to family. I knew I would need support, but I knew in my heart I would not raise Molly in California for long. We moved to Colorado along with my sister Molly and her husband and two boys in 1992. Drinking continued to be a part of my life, my modeling for my daughter, with regard to alcohol was poor. My precious angel started using alcohol at about age 16, which she hid from me pretty well. Molly headed off to college in 2004, but her broken heart with regard to a dad who had no interest in her and my poor modeling set the stage of alcohol abuse.
Her third year of college, she was sent home due to two suicide attempts with pills and alcohol. She was on the path to get into nursing school in Pueblo when she came home. She had taken a test on December 4th to, to fulfill a requirement to get into the nursing school. She and friends went out that night in a cab, came home in a cab, but she had consumed so much alcohol she went to the dark place and got in her car and was on I-25 and crossed the median and hit a semi head-on and was killed. I received her letter of acceptance to Pueblo Nursing School a week after her death. Backing up a bit to 2002 is when I walked through the doors of Woodland Park Christian Church, which is now Impact, and that is truly when my walk with the Lord began. I would go each week and cry and feel like the pastor was speaking directly to me. Because of my pride and having felt for so many years that I was my own provider, protector, and power source, I had to be brought to my knees to really learn that God, through his son Jesus Christ, can only be those things in my life. Molly was my world, and for the past 11 years, I was not sure who I was or where I was headed. For many years, for many of those years, I would pray that Jesus would bring me home. I felt I had no purpose because I believed to be, my purpose was to be a mom to Molly, and she was in heaven. That is where I wanted to be. The scripture Isaiah 55, 8, 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I try hard to stay focused on the scripture in order to know and believe in my head and my heart that God has a great plan for my life. This has not been easy to do when my mommy heart feels so empty without my little girl. I am thankful that I know where she is, that I will see her again one day, but this has been a huge challenge every day. Until August of 2017, I was in a share group and I made the comment that I know God works all things for good, but I would never see the good in my daughter not being here. I went home and thought about my words and realized if that was going to be my thinking, how could God ever heal my broken heart? Honestly, once I said those words out loud, it was like a switch went on and it was revealed to me so clearly why I am here without question. I consider myself a struggling Christian with faults and failures, but Jesus has given me the tools to use in seeking answers from him. God is patient with me, and through the study of his word, I am learning that he wants to teach me. I believe we tend to believe what we hear our own voice say. I get up most mornings now excited to see what God's plan is for me each day and who I get to show the love of Jesus to in my actions. Seven years ago, when I started recovery, I realized my past hurts, habits, and hang-ups could not be resolved in a few short months or even years. I know that continued growing in a safe environment that is Christ-centered is where I need to be to really become what and who God put me here to be. Micah 6.8 says, He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. 
because I have seen and felt the true healing and peace in my life. I am a CR lifer. I believe Christ loaned Molly to me to teach me the unconditional love that he has for me. I don't know if I ever would have understand that kind of love if I had not gotten a glimpse of it through the precious gift of my daughter. I trust him with all my heart and soul. Having gone through five-step groups over these seven years helped me realize I had to come clean and admit all my hurts, habits, and hang-ups to myself, to God, and to another human being. Through these steps I have completed, I find each time I receive more healing and continue to learn how amazing our God is. I pray that through seeking I will be able to wholeheartedly apply Ephesians 1, 17 and 18, which says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. I have been given the gift to be able to serve as the celebration place leader at RCR. What a blessing to be a part of walking with little ones through precovery in hopes they may be spared some of the battles we adults have had to deal with. What I would share with a newcomer is the scripture that I believe and hold on to strongly, which is Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. God bless you all, and thanks for letting me share. So Lee and Jeannie and, and uh, Gwen, Gigi, have other commitments, and so they may slip out and head out to those. If you see them slipping out, uh, they're not being rude, uh, but they are fulfilling other obligations. If you'd like to meet them or have a question for them, catch them before they go. But thank you for coming. Thank you for sharing. We love you. If you want to see them again tomorrow night, we leave here at 5. We can go up, right? You have a meal for us? All right. All right, thanks again for coming, you guys. So I want to take the next, uh, we have 15 minutes, and uh, I want to pass these out. So let me see, this is the biggest group. If you wind up with, uh, if you can share as couples, that'd be great. Save a tree. If you wind up not having one and you want one, come see me. I can make more copies if you'll just pass those around. I, I, I want to use the next uh, three class periods after today to kind of wind this down and talk about the nuts and bolts of Celebrate Recovery, what it looks like, you know, in a day by day, how it goes, how it functions. And I especially want to talk and give you an opportunity to talk about if our leadership decided to, to launch a CR ministry here, how would that affect the rest of us, particularly, you know, coming in to worship on, at, at 10.40 on Sunday mornings? How would it affect uh, Pikes Peak Christian School? How would it affect Grace Bible Church? What would it look like? What are we getting ourselves into? Okay, so we're going to focus on that, especially next week. I'm going to try to introduce it in the next 10 or 12 minutes, and then I want you to be thinking about it and bring your, your thoughts and your concerns. 
Uh, I want to use as a, as a talking point this um, guidelines, and I gave mine all out, so can I borrow somebody's? Diane, can I borrow yours? Thank you. Your guidelines, I gave all mine out. So these, when, when you get newcomers in, uh, they come, you, you, the ideal is you share a meal together, which I know that's a pain in the rear end. And people say, well, we can just skip the meal. I kind of disagree. That's a personal opinion. But that 30 to 40 minutes is critical. I mean, when they're getting out of their car, imagine they may have the shakes. You know, they may be in an adulterous affair. Uh, they may, you know, be struggling with food addiction and now you're going to feed them. I mean, who knows what is going on in their world, but they get out of that car and we always tell them, the steps you take from that parking lot to that front door are the most courageous steps you'll ever take. And so we want them to come into a, a welcoming, um, enjoyable experience. The meals are fantastic. And it's all volunteer run. The church has no involvement whatsoever. The cooks, you heard Gwen. Uh, the all of these people have come through the Celebrate Recovery ministry. So this is not, you know, oh, Carl, you're doing 73 things for Eastside Church of Christ. I want you to add a 74th. I mean, we can't, right? We don't have those resources. What God raises up is people like Gwen who come to church and then are brought in to Celebrate Recovery immediately are converted to Christ and then become CR lifers. Rick Warren uses the expression from his perspective at Saddleback Church, which is a large mega church, 22,000. He says, this is my number one ministry. The reason is it is a leadership factory. I mean, he claims upwards of two-thirds of his new leaders in all of his ministry areas are somehow connected to the Celebrate Recovery Ministry. Now, we're not doing it to grow the church. That's, you know, that's not, I'm just telling you that's a fact. So we have a meal together. Um, we welcome the newcomers. We take them uh, to another place where we engage in uh, enthusiastic worship of our God take about 15 or 20 minutes and introduce them if they're not already introduced into giving thanks and being having an attitude of gratitude. They may be suicidal at that moment. Many are. But what we model for them is, hey, we were there too. But what we've now learned is that an attitude of gratitude and a heart filled with worship and praise for our Creator begins the healing process, doesn't it, Carl? You want to get out of yourself? Embrace an attitude of gratitude. Start looking at life from a different perspective. And so we worship with them. And then we at the end of worship, of course, you know, we have announcements. People say, say you know, the first 10,000 years in heaven are going to be announcements, right? No, that's in hell. <laughs> oh, that's in hell. There you go. <laughs> 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 
but we immediately go into what we call a large group, and that is what we just had. We have a testimony every other week. If it's not a testimony, if it's the other uh, an off week, an off week, not an off week, an alternative week, we have a teaching, which is just a basic principle. We talk about it. Um, someone gets up and shares uh, the basic principle. There are eight of them, so we just keep going over them through the year. We just repeat it, but it's always with a different twist. And then at the end of that time, we have a 10-minute break, and we meet in uh, what we call share groups. Now, these are... Um, so we're kind of funneling people. We bring them into the large community, then we bring them into the to the large group, and we then we have a share group, which is probably, and they're always gender specific. Always. Doesn't matter what the issues are, we do not allow, uh, Celebrate Recovery does not allow cross-gender. Because there may be some sex issues, there may be some issues, and so we, they have found, and I agree wholeheartedly, that it's better if we have gender-specific groups. And that's where I want us to look at these guidelines. At every, the opening of every uh, share group, these guidelines are shared. Whoever's leading it. Number one, keep your sharing focused on your own thoughts and feelings. It's not a time to teach. It's not a time to preach. It's not a time to talk about your spouse. It's not a time to talk about your boss. Oh, if we only had a better boss, my world would be better. Well, you don't have a better boss. So how are you? What are you doing with your boss that is causing issues for you? Oh, if I could just, you know, those people who drive, we live in the worst drivers of the, in the national, you know, right? National survey says Colorado Springs has worst drivers in the nation. <laughs> Headline. Well, guess what? I got on an airplane three days later, landed in Richmond, Virginia, and guess what it said? National survey says worst drivers in the world are in Richmond, Virginia. <laughs> Wow, somebody's got a different survey going on. But, but the point is, Carl, and I keep picking on Carl because he's making beautiful eye contact with me. It, it's not a time for me to talk about, oh, if I could fix all of these external things, my life would be better. It's a time to get honest with myself. If I could learn to not react to my boss, to that you know, porn, whatever is, is bothering me to that, whatever it is that's, that's triggering me to behave in a way I don't want to behave. I talk about me and the leader's job is because some people start saying, you know, and if you read the Bible three times a day, and if you pray, you'll do it. What about you? Talk about you. Let us talk about us. You talk about you. Limit your sharing to three to five minutes. So again, this is just a snippet, okay? This is to whet the appetite. 
because, um, and I'll talk about more next week, if, if someone realizes I need to face some issues in my life, then the leader will say, well, why don't you enter into a step study? And that is a six to, to nine month commitment to a completely different study on a different night of the week where you get in a group. And I'll talk to you those. There is no crosstalk. So Carl, it's your turn. I keep, Ted, it's your turn. We have a timekeeper. I have a, I have a watch on my, cell, on my iPhone. I set it. You say, hi, uh, I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. I struggle with ABC and my name is Ted. And we say, hi, Ted, and I start the timer. And you begin to speak. No crosstalk. Crosstalk is if I say to Ted, oh, I have that problem too. No, stop. This is Ted's time. You're going to have your turn. Or if you start talking to so-and-so, you know, oh, yeah, I struggle with that too. Stop. This is a time for Ted to share. And then we go around the room. And if you don't want to share, you say skip. You never have to share. But no crosstalk. Huge, number three. We are not here to fix one another. This is not therapy. You may need therapy. You may benefit from therapy. You may ask the group or the group leader, can you recommend a therapist? And we will. I will. I've got two or three that I've had through the years that are fantastic. But this group is not about therapy. I'm not here to fix you. I'm here to walk alongside you. We're here to submit to the Spirit of God for healing. Now, He may use a professional therapist to help you. And I will walk alongside you with in that process. But I'm not going to offer you advice. I'm not even going to offer you technically, and, and I get pretty legalistic about this. My, if I'm leading a group, I tell people, look, because we're going to get to this in a minute. What Ted comes here understanding he can say anything. And number one, it will stay here. And number two, to, to emphasize the guideline number three, nobody's going to try to fix Ted. Ted's not here to get fixed. Ted's here to share and to be in the presence of God. And if I go to Ted afterwards and I say, I may have a great book or I may have a therapist that I want to recommend to Ted, and I'm very legalistic about this, I say to Ted, Ted, I appreciated your share. May I offer you something? Ted says no. What do I say? Nothing more. I'm not there to fix it. And, and, and church, what we're saying is we're not embracing the community of Colorado Springs. Come to the Eastside Church of Christ because we can fix you. We will become responsible for you. No, they become responsible for their own recovery. What we're offering is to walk alongside them, right? And I tell my guys all the time, if I'm not going to care about your recovery more than you do, you don't want to show up, don't show up. You want to show up drunk, you're going to go home. You want to show up abusive, you're going to get 911 called on you. This is a program of personal responsibility. It is not my job to enable you. Now, you want a place of safety and confidentiality where you can work on your recovery while I will work on my recovery? 
you're welcome. Did you have a relapse this week and you wanna talk about it and struggle with it? Come on in. But you wanna come here and cause trouble and be flippant or expect us to enable you to tell you that it's okay to be cheating on your wife, that it's okay to be practicing homosexuality, that it's okay to be continuing to drink, you're not gonna hear that from us. What you're gonna hear from us is take responsibility for your recovery because we are not, we are not enslaved to our genetics. We do have the ability to make choices and sometimes they're hard to make, but we're here to encourage you. So anonymity, and I wanna emphasize this and I'll quit, uh, two more. Next week, week after next, one of our own, going to share her story. Amy Cox. Now, maybe you know her story. Maybe you don't. But class, I know we're not a CR ministry, but class, she's going to share some things I'm anticipating that need to stay in this room. She's struggling. She doesn't know where to turn. She thinks that this program may be able to help her. She approached Terry and I and Baruch reached out to her. Thank you, Baruch, for doing that. And said, Amy, why don't you share with the class? And she said, Baruch and I, we didn't know if she'd be ready. And she said, yes. So I'm working with her on her, and she's developing her testimony. And you're gonna hear it. So I am gonna hold us accountable to this guideline. It stays with us. And one of the biggest way we Christians, I'm almost done, Brooke, I'm gonna get out of here. One of the biggest ways that we break this, we don't, oh, you know, did you hear about Amy? I was in class with Amy. No, stop. You know another way we break it? Hey, can you pray with me? And we need to pray for Amy. Oh God, be with Amy and stray. And you're sharing that information with someone who wasn't in the class. You're violating this guideline. Fair? Okay. That goes for like, all of our relationships. All of our relationships. That's Bible, right, Baruch? It's, yeah, it's just being nice. Because it's gossip. I mean, you can gossip in a prayer, right? <laughs> okay. Enough said. Sermon over. And then, of course, offensive language. Now, some of these guys come in off the street. They're, they're still actively boozing. We'll give them grace the first few times. They'll let the, you know, some of them drop the F-bomb in group. And the first time we'll admonish them. The second time we'll admonish them. But, it, but, but pretty quickly, we emphasize this is a Christ-centered recovery program. So offensive language has no place. You go to AA and you'll hear the F-bomb, you know, 20 times in any share. Questions or comments? All right, so next week, let's talk about, let's, uh, I'm not going to plan, uh, Brooke, you want to help me with just leading a discussion about what's this going to look like for Eastside? That fair? How's it going to affect us? And what, 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 what resources are we going to put in place? We get a child molester that shows up at our door. We've got kids. That's an issue, right? We need to talk about it. 
This is not something we're going to do just lightly, right? This is a huge undertaking. So, all right, let me close this in prayer. Look at that, Brooke. I've got one minute. God, we love you so much, and we're so thankful that you did not leave us to our monkey minds. Each of us in our own way have struggled and continue to struggle, and we realize as we think about this that we allow our, our survival desires, our, our predispositions to focus on where am I going to get my food, where am I going to get my clothing, how am I going to retire, how am I going to pay my bills, how, and all these are important things, God, but what we don't want to happen is for those to define our existence to define who we are as created beings. Those things come to us as you've promised, sometimes in scarcity and sometimes in abundance, but either way, God, what we wanna be is we wanna be in your presence as Julius tried to help us this morning. To receive your spirit and to be transformed in our inner beings, to be in contact with what you designed us to be as your creature, sharing your life, sharing your nature, sharing your joy, sharing your love. And God, we want to offer that to others who are struggling. And as we watch our culture self-destruct, help us to realize that you have the answer and that you have chosen to offer that answer, as always, through your people. Help us to be your people at this place and at this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. See you next week. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs every Sunday at 1040 a.m. as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.